0: We're talking about singing, but I think that can apply really to anything. Like, how do you feel as you're doing this? Rather than, you know, are you in your head comparing yourself to other people? That's, as huge, you know, and it makes sense why we do it. We all want to be successful and want to have the quote unquote greatness that we think we see out there and the things that we love. But the only way those became the things that we love was by those people trusting themselves too. Mm-hmm.
1: And we're fun, and we're very good looking. So I feel
2: like. (laughs) Okay, cool. Bye. I like that, but I also. Oh no, that's wrong. Why are you wrong? New journeys, new beginnings. life, and all its ups and downs. And I like the universality of. We're just humans, right? We're just trying to do our thing and get by.
1: your
2: angle welcome back okay take the floor
1: hello welcome back to angled we're here today with Jackie Macri on our podcast where we highlight the successes of those who are crushing it under the radar and so Jackie we're so happy to have you here could you tell us a little more about what you do how you'd introduce yourself and just say hello to our listeners
0: sure happy to be here thanks for having me guys I like the way you introduced it. People who are crushing it under the radar. I like that tagline. That's a lot of people. Oh, I thank you. So right now I am a music therapist and on the side singer songwriter. I work at CHOP at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I work on adolescent medicine and the MPU, which is the medical behavioral unit. I work in a great team of music therapists, art therapists, and we have one dance movement therapist. We're called the creative arts therapist or CAT team for short. And in the pre-pandemic times, I would occasionally gig in the Philly area doing original music and covers and all sorts of things. And one day that that will return. And that's that's how I would present.
1: That's cool. I like that. It's nice to just hear about the different ways you use your artistic skills to kind of influence and impact people. What we like to talk about here at Angled is we want to get to know a little bit more about your journey and how you've gotten to where you are right now. And we like to ask folks about what sorts of things in the last 10 years have kind of shaped where you are today. And we also like to sprinkle the questions as we go along, you know, because we're not going to ask everybody the same questions, but we want to know a little bit about the twists and turns you've taken. So what kind of brought you to being a music therapist? Did you say when you were nine years old, I will be a music therapist when I grow up? (laughs) Or did the profession find you as many professions find people?
0: Yes. Such a great question. I think the, in theory... It was something that I was probably always heading toward because I was a pretty sensitive kid, pretty empathetic, and also loved music and loved performing, loved the performing arts, creative arts in general. And you know what? I remember oddly specific memory being maybe like 11 years old on like an an escalator in the mall with my parents. And I was talking about we were talking a little bit about psychology, and I was learning about that for the first time and talking about how interesting it was to me. And my dad was like, What if one day you could do this brand new thing? You can be a, a therapist and then play the piano to your patients. And we were kind of just having a laugh about it. And we're like, How ridiculous does that sound? I'd be like, Ah, oh, yes, tell me how you feel. And then before you go, let me just serenade you. <laughs> but I mean, that was more or less like the prototype for what I'm doing now. Uh, Neither of us knew that music therapy was a profession, had a name, existed. I didn't know what it was, I think, until like my last year of college. Right. And it, it wasn't something I thought too much about pursuing just because there, there's no representation for it in the media. I didn't know anyone who practiced or who had been a client of a music therapist. It's just like not, not super super widespread practice at the time, at least in my world. So I pursued performing. That's actually that's how Tanuke and I met at uh in the last semester of college.
1: (laughs) Woohoo in New York City.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. So many moons ago. And I kind of did a little bit of everything. I performed, I taught, but I think I'm kind of a seeker and I'm always looking for for better or worse, I'm looking for why we do the things we do. I always wanted to do something that was directly helpful to others. That was something that was more like a service. And eventually, again, it was my dad who showed me, uh, maybe when I was like 22, 23, there was a program, a graduate program for music therapy, right down the street from where my parents lived. And, and he was like, this looks like all the things that you're interested. Like, tell me what you think, if that's something that you'd want to try. So, you know, I ended up doing a little bit of shadowing and then eventually felt like this at least looks like the path that kind of suits all my interests and my personality traits. And sometimes our our parents know us better than we would like to admit. So my dad made a decent call on that one. I'll, I'll just, I'll give him that (laughs) credit. And then, you know, that was about, 10 years ago now so over the last 10 years i think sort of in how would you, how you say appropriate to my personality i kind of did a little bit of everything so yeah i worked in geriatric psych i worked in pediatric rehab i worked at a different hospital also for children and worked with like memory care for seniors I still taught, still performed, occasionally worked with theaters and just wanted to do a little bit of everything. And then got to a point where I just thought it would be fun to try doing everything all in one place and having one job. But I thought that might be a nice uh, nice change of pace. Mm-hmm. I also was, <laughs> as I was doing all those things, it was really stimulating, but I was working really independently. And I was like, I was the only music therapist or creative arts therapist at the hospital I was working at. And usually the only one of me doing what I was doing anywhere or was just driving around kind of doing things on on a contract basis. And I think, you know, I was craving community and I knew that CHOP, yeah, had like a great creative arts therapy community that was really robust. I knew that they did, that they have conferences there every now and then, that there might be opportunity to do research, that I would be more involved with the medical teams. So that kind of seemed like a logical next step. And then a job opened up there with a population that I was really interested in, which, as I said, was adolescent medicine and and the behavioral unit. And I think I've always had felt connected to and wanting to support the adolescent community I feel like that's just such a difficult time in life when you just don't have a lot of, like things are just changing constantly. You're trying to understand yourself and you have very few defenses against. Right. Uh-huh, yeah. Sometimes that's just like my first year, I found myself saying that to the kids a lot. Where it was just like, let's just take a second and acknowledge like,
1: being this age is hard, being a teenager is hard, yeah,
0: <laughs> and I think I related to that, I mean, I definitely struggled during that period of life too, yeah, and I wanted to be supportive to kids of that age so they might feel a little bit less alone, so that was what brought me where I am now,
1: yeah, I like that. I'm glad you do. I think just I right, I think just knowing that you wanted to be that sort of healing person and also that figure in a person's life at such a pivotal age is so important. I think oftentimes people will bounce around in the world of whatever their field is and try to find the right fit and try to find the community that they want to impact. And just kind of hearing how you were moving a little bit and working with this population and that population and now knowing that you work with such an impressionable age is really lovely and just nice to hear And it makes me think a little bit about the people you work with and just kind of like people you've worked with in the past. How has the community that you're with now or the artist community that nurtured you when you were younger helped you on your journey? How have these groups kind of formed you and helped you become who you are and get to where you are right now?
0: Well, it's an interesting question because it was the desire for community that brought me to CHOP in the first place. So I think that's been really powerful for me. And in times when I've been having a really tough time or otherwise, like if it was just me, it would kind of be just kind of stuck in my head and trying to figure things out on my own. It's really great to have other therapists around you who you can bounce ideas off of or even just vent to sometimes. We do also have, twice a month, we have what's called peer supervision. Mm. So we, sometimes we're bringing in Cases that have been challenging to us—it's all confidential—but are kind of talking through, like, I have this patient. Here's what's been happening. I'm out of ideas. (laughs) I'm feeling really burned out. Or if it's like playing on your emotions, like there's so much space to to bring safe space to bring that into. Yeah. So I think that has been really supportive and really integral to my sense of like success and thriving at Chop. Because it is a really it chops a a top hospital. And when you are the best of the best, you do sometimes see the worst of the worst cases or the the toughest to treat.
1: That makes sense.
0: Yeah. So there can be, you know, we're up for the challenge, Mm -hmm. but when everything is is that level of challenging, it can be helpful to have people to lean on who get it and think the way you think. Mm. That's a big part of it is like, it's one thing, having people who you can just kind of talk to, invent in sort of a general way, but to be around other people who have similar perspectives and have been trained in the same way that you have, that's been really useful rather than having to explain like, well, in music therapy, Mm -hmm. here's the way I need to approach this. You know, you kind of have people who already get it. So that's, I think, really important.
1: Right. I like that. Yeah.
2: Can you walk us through a day of what you do? Because as you know, have dreamed of being a music therapist and just never wanted to go back to school and this whole thing. So I'm very curious. Sure.
0: So I usually have a group in the morning on one of the units. Right now with COVID, we can only have a, a certain number of people. So we have to kind of invite strategically based on their treatment plan. A group is about an hour. So that'll be like You're like a half hour of recruiting, talking to nurses, trying to figure out who is like highest need, who would benefit the most from being in a group and then inviting, meeting patients, trying to coordinate with their schedules. And then I always tell them a group is like, it kind of depends on the day. There are days when it's like a big jam session for an hour and there are days when it's more (laughs) internal. We've certainly had, had those days of like, let's write a Disney song and let's have a drum circle and that are kind of really bombastic. Or there's just like a lot of chatter and laughter. And then, then there are days where like, it really depends on the patient's needs. If, Mm. if they're in a really low place, you know, I'm not going to bring in like the maracas and be like, (laughs) be happy or, or else. Let's get happy. Come on. (laughs) Be like, respond to this happy music. (laughs) Ignore your problems. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. As much as I would sometimes like to. <laughs> that's something I have to curb a little bit, just sidebar, because I do kind of have a big personality. And, you know, like we said, like we met in theater. So <laughs> every now and then I meet a kid who's like really into musical theater and I'm like, yeah, let's get it. Come on. Let's do like sunshine arms. But that's not always appropriate clinically. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Gotta like reel it in for your people. Yes.
0: Yes. I did have a patient once ask me to to sing tomorrow for her, and I was just like, "I'm gonna not cheese out. I'm gonna not cheese out." I'm totally <laughs> just gonna be in the moment. I've, I've had, like been asked to sing Hamilton. It's like, ah, i so Like, no, this is about the patient. It's not about me having a good time. No, no, but that tells me
2: there's so much joy in that for you because regardless, that's striking a chord, you know, and that's cool
0: yes and then hopefully that that joy gets shared with the patients too anyway yeah so that's not always clinically appropriate <laughs> you know you have to be watching for the patient's presentation and be sensitive to what what they're going through and plan your interventions according to how their needs are presenting and how best you can assess that sort of in that like first couple of minutes so there are other days where it's really chill we're doing music for relaxation or simple they're just like learning to play the ukulele or the instrument they're interested in there are days when it's all improv where we're f- focused more on like self-expression so that's a group and then sometimes we do also attend medical rounds in the morning so we used to go in person now with the pandemic where you know we kind of call in and you know they go through mm. all the list of patients um what's going on with them that day their plan for discharge, and then you know we get a sense again of like who's high priority, who's having like trouble uh, adapting and coping, and who might need the most support. And then the rest of the day, I do ten hour days. I do four tens, so that can be just individual session. It's a
1: yeah. long day, yes.
0: <laughs> it can yeah. be. It that can be just a, a string of individual sessions that. Usually, for me, are about an hour each. Sometimes they're a little bit shorter, but often, especially with the older ones, if they really, like really need to talk, they can go they can go pretty long. And depending on the day, we may have a peer supervision. We may have a behavioral health meeting where we're kind of talking about our approach, again, talking about cases. Yeah, supervision is big. And then at the end of the day, you're documenting in the patient's chart. So, we're talking about like what happened clinically, why we did what we did. So the rest of the team can see what we're up to. And if there's anything sort of therapeutic, therapeutically relevant to how they are treating the patient. I recently got quoted in a doctor's note. I felt like I was on TV. Okay. Was just I just awesome. ah! like, ah, you're reading my notes. What I said was important.
2: <laughs> I think that's actually something to hit on because it sounds like it, with what you do, you can have successes every day. You can have a different kind of success, like a different kind of hoop you've gone through or hurdle you've gotten over on a daily basis because of so all the differences between patients and projects and stuff. So is that kind of nice? Like you have little things to celebrate within what you do?
0: Yes, keen observation. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, way to, way to put that into words. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's totally true because I, I think that's the... That's just the cool part, I think, of being able to provide something like a creative art therapy that's a little bit that that has so many different applications Mm -hmm. and different purposes for patients. So there can be a patient who as soon as you walk in, they're like, I'm ready to write a song about everything I've been through in my life. Right. Go like, let's start. And then the next patient you see might just be getting comfortable You might be the first person that they allow themselves to talk to, Mm -hmm. or that they allow into their room, and that's the success, and that's what you're building on. So cool! So it can.
2: There's a really wide range. It's weird. I was at Chop when I first moved back from LA. So my gosh, it was like August of 2019, I guess, and I had fundraised for a birthday, which I'm sure Tanuki remembers. I was I donated to literally to the music therapy department of Chop because I was just so I just love it so much. And then I went and did a tour as like a thank you. I forget the guy's name, but it's crazy because I was asking about your department the whole time. And so you're probably there this whole time. And I like, you know, never met you, but I was trying so hard to cross paths with that department and just, did. Oh. and so here we are, which is really funny to me now. So
0: thank you so much for fundraising. Yeah, it, was, it
2: was cool. I want to do it again. I just keep forgetting. And then I,
0: yeah. Hey, that's good. Co- Wait, we're not picky whenever you want right, to. I'm
2: sure. <laughs> But anyway, go on. I think, yes, it sounds like you are able to take something new from, honestly, probably from every person you work with, every patient. I'm thinking from a grand scale, but, but moral of the story, yes, it sounds like every day you have something you can bring home. Like, Ooh, that was cool. Like I just helped somebody today. Like, Whoa.
1: Yeah. That's great. I, I think that makes for such a fulfilling experience when it comes to what we do from day to day. Mm -hmm. And I think like being able to like stitch together a week in which no two days look exactly the same, but (laughs) you know that you can kind of take away at least a moment when a young person who never let you into the room has done that today, or you had like a musical breakthrough with someone, or you finished a song that you've been working on for a while. And I think that is just something that, when you're in the field that you're in right now, when it comes to the arts and when it comes to healing is so important because it keeps us building momentum and it keeps us moving forward and it keeps us making us, it keeps allowing for us to feel like we're making some sort of progress. And I think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I did want to ask Jackie, as you're speaking your voice is so resonant mm-hmm. and it's just like nice to listen to you. <laughs> Both
2: of you, actually.
1: And you too, Allie, because your voice is very like calming and soothing. It is. Oh. And like your voice, Jackie, it like pops in a good way. Can you tell us a little bit about, and the three of us, we all know how to sing. We are all singing individuals. Can you tell us about just your, your journey, relationship with singing, what you've done to get your voice to do what it does? And as a music therapist, what you need to do to maintain your instrument, because a little bit earlier, you were talking about what it's like to do this and you don't want to burn out, of course, which is why the community helps you. But physically thinking about what you need to do for a 10 hour shift, how do you keep your voice healthy? What's your voice journey been?
0: Oh, to do it has been one. Actually, can I just be like a total dork for a yes, second since I just realized boring. that we can, we can all sing? Can we just do a moment of a three-part harmony? Oh, oh
1: my god, yes we can.
0: Because <laughs> it doesn't have to be simultaneous. We can just hold a chord.
1: We can layer it. Oh my god. Like Allie,
2: this is your dream. Allie, you start. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Wait, so like, do we just like do a note? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Do a note. Uh, let's see. And just hold it forever. Okay. Uh,
1: I think we're a girl group. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing is, as I was singing, I couldn't hear anyone else. So
2: I I love that that just happened.
1: (laughs) Did we just sound really good? In
2: my head, we sounded great. (laughs) I I don't know if it sounded right or not, but... Was it, ah, ah, ah? Was that what we just Mm -hmm. did? Oh, yay! And see, guys, this is my fear, and this is why I'm not a therapist, (laughs) because I would have totally effed that up if I had to teach Allie, you sounded lovely. (laughs) You gave us a nice
1: chord to build off (laughs) of. But one of our dreams, actually, Jackie, is singing the intro to Angled. We're going to figure that dream out, but Allie has these cool cool dreams.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That we've talked about. I love that dream for you. That's (laughs) one of the dreams. (laughs) Well, I think... the Okay, I will take what Jackie just did. The reason that was so important and so cool and relative to what she does is that that brought an entirely different energy to five seconds of time. And I think that is how you help people with what you do. It brings different thoughts to mind. It brings a quick confidence like, Oh, I can do this or I'm just going to be spontaneous. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, adrenaline. And I think that can jog memories, right? Like pieces of like autism and Alzheimer's and Mm. association, right? That whole piece of bringing that back.
0: Yes. I had, and I know there's a question pending, but (laughs) following this for a second, I once was in a class in grad school where one of the teachers brought in, it's a pretty common picture nowadays of an iceberg but it's like an x-ray vision through the water where you have like the tip popping out. That's 20,
1: 80%. Right.
0: Yeah. So they use that as an analogy for the way we communicate. And they said like that top spot in, if you look at the iceberg as like our whole brain and our communication abilities, the top part is verbal. And then there's all of these other ways to communicate underneath and it's tone of voice and it's body language. And you know, how many words we're using, or I guess that is sort of verbal. Never mind. Um, <laughs> anyway, you're doing great. <laughs> or the way that we receive information and get communicated with. So, yeah, why only talk if you can find other ways to express yourself? Mm-hmm. And because it does bring up all those other things that we just may not get to through our conscious mind. Right. Yeah. So I think that's really important. I had another teacher who, after we had a music experience in class and like the whole energy change, as you just described, said like, Mm -hmm. okay, now imagine if you could take a pill that gave you the emotional effect that music just did, like mm -hmm. you would be extremely wealthy, you know, because it's, it's a real, it's a real night and day effect that it can have, but Thankfully, pills don't work that way, and we have just the communal experience of music. We have the to provide that for us. Yes, yeah, that's real. Yeah, yeah, and I think it takes. There's a little bit of a leap of faith that you have to take sometimes in your day to day work with something like this, because often I know you you both are musicians. I know you're both. I knew you were both likely to say yes. I wasn't totally sure. But I had that part of me that was like, I don't know if this is, they're going to want to do this, but I'll ask anyway. <laughs> but that's sort of a part of it too, is like these kids who have never done anything like this before, are they going to want to play the piano that they've never touched before as right. though they're an and express anger or, or tiredness or sadness? And you have to take that leap with, um, with people right. and confidently open the door. So you can say like, Hey, we can go through this door if you want. and. We won't die. It's gonna right. be okay. Like we can just try this and see how it feels. So yeah, I'm glad that came up organically. Oh, Jackie, thank that. you for
1: was fun. bringing a fun challenge that has never before been part of the podcasting experience. <laughs> <laughs> that was really <laughs> in our little angle world. And also, I think like when it comes to things like music therapy, there's just such joy in reminding people of their own potential to do marvelous things. And it's so easy to forget, oh, yeah, that's right. We can all play the drum. We can all, and in our case, having spent years in the world of music and theater, we can all sing and make a fun little chord. Like, it's just cool to do. We don't do it every day, but it's so much fun to do. And it's, it's nice to be reminded of our own innate abilities. It's really cool. The singing question, right? Yes, Ellie. The Allie. singing question. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes.
0: I'm gonna come back to what Tanuke just said. My voice journey. A novel by Jacqueline Macri. Twentieth edition. Edited by Biology, Environment, Stress, and Diet. I can't me. That's amazing. Oh. <laughs>
1: For any singers out there who are listening. Let it out, girl.
0: (laughs) Oh, that was healing. Okay. I love to sing. Do you? (laughs) I sure do. It. Oh, God. Where to start? Long story short, Cliff Notes version. I'm going to give you the spark notes off the (laughs) the (laughs) shelf. VIP. Yeah, it's been up and down. I've, you know, there are those singers that... I envy who can sing through anything, who can be tired, who can be over, who can sing, who
1: can be around smoke. Um, who can do a shot of whiskey be- in the middle of a oh. show and still belt perfectly. Gosh. Gosh. <laughs> Just kidding.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Maybe once in a blue moon, I can do that. But my voice so far has proven sensitive to the elements. I've had acid reflux. I've had a cyst on one of my vocal cords. I've had surgery. I've had voice therapy. Oh, yeah, it was a huge bummer. Oh. It happened during my music therapy internship. But, you know, there were some silver linings in learning how to sing or to to trust your voice to convey emotion and be able to connect with people, even if it's not perfect or the way you want it to be. So there are things that I still struggle with from time to time. And I think that's just the voice for some people. But how do I maintain it and do kind of what I need to do? I think if I were if I were running like three or four groups a day and they were like huge drum circles and I had to like sing and talk over them, I would probably have to get like a little like lavalier microphone. I know that some music therapists do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It wouldn't be my preference, but I think some voices are are designed bigger than others no matter how much you've studied and no matter how much you learned about projection you got to learn how to just work with what you've been given mm-hmm. and not demand perfection of it so mm. i think if that were the case i would have to approach differently i have not really had an issue at this job and i thought that i might because i went from doing music therapy at a hospital twice a week to doing it full time and i was really nervous about it and i have to say it has been helpful for my like my self concept and my ability to like challenge my stress and challenge my anxiety or challenge my body to go like well let's try this and see what happens
1: yeah cuz that
0: that's something that from time to time i've been like man i don't know if i can do music therapy full time i've had an injury i have reflux, you know maybe i'm just uh, not strong enough to do it and you know the voice in my head saying like well try it anyway see what happens and i think quote unquote, the magic happens sometimes when you just take, again, just take the leap. And and you go like, I'll walk through it and I'll cross those bridges as I come to them. And it's, it's really been fine. And, you know, a lot of the time, every now and then I have a patient who like really wants me to belt it out with them. But for the most part, and that's fine. For the most part, I have patients who are struggling to find their voice Literally and metaphorically. Mm -hmm. And it's not really clinically called for for me to be pushing my voice to its highest extent, going like full, like high gear all the time. What's most therapeutic is for me to sing in a way that's as supportive as possible. So I would end up like overpowering some of these patients if I was going kind of full force. So coming at it from a place of intention purpose and from a therapeutic mindset, I think that has been what has helped kind of maintain the health of my instrument throughout all this.
2: Do you, you mentioned trust and I think it kind of coincides nicely with having patience. You had to trust that your voice was going to get better and like you had to trust yourself to sort of work with it and you couldn't overnight get back the strength that was there. How would you say if you were to tell somebody how to trust yourself in that situation, how would you explain that to someone?
0: Specifically around voicing or just in general?
2: I would say in general, because it could apply to any field. Like if you kind of have to revamp your skills in a way is what it sounds like, like that thing you trusted, like your instrument was potentially jeopardized and you had to work through bringing it back to speed. That takes a lot of discipline and a lot of like, honestly, self-respect to know that I still have a voice, like I'm fine. I just have to like fix the muscle that it was, you know, whatever that could have happened to any, even an athlete in the same position. So do you had to say what got you through that and what helped coach, like how did you coach yourself to bring yourself back up to speed?
0: Sure. I think there's a balance of, there's a couple of players that come in, in a situation like that. And one is fear The big one is fear, fear, anxiety, stress, tension, and then all of its opposites or the intention to to connect with its opposites. I think one is, you know, approach with humility, Mm. listen to your body. You know, I kind of got in the situation I was in by getting injured by really pushing, really being like a vocal perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I was doing, trying to sing in so many different styles and it was just never... Enough to me. I kept it was like, I, but I can get it better. I can get it better. I can get that mixed belt to sound more like a, a true belt. And I was just pushing myself really, really hard and not respecting my instrument and appreciating it for how it's built. So I think that's part of it. Like allow whatever, whatever's there to come out mm-hmm. and trust that that's right for you and right for the moment or at least experiment with trusting if you can feel like you fully can buy into that sort of like a, what if, like what if what you were producing was just right. And then, yeah, I think another part of it was like, like I thinking that we need to be singing all the time need to be like guiding and leading with our voice and maybe asking yourself, like, when can you listen more? Mm. Do you need to be voicing as much as you think you do? I found that to be the case when I was working with, with a, the memory care population and we would do like these big bombastic music circles. And I thought like, man, like I really have to sing over all of this sound. And then I just started asking myself, like, where can you allow them to make the music? Or where can you use like a, a hand signal? Trust yourself to be, to come up with like flexible solutions as well. If your body is telling you that, that it needs a break.
2: Yeah. So I think
0: those are the main ones. I could probably write another book on <laughs> Macri's journey into self-trust and you can too. Yeah.
2: Well, I think what you're saying speaks to so many professions because I I mean, I can say obviously right off the bat as a photographer, I could look at other photographers' work all day long and beat myself up about how I didn't do that mm. and I didn't do this and I want but the minute I stop doing that, my work improves. Like you want to emulate to an extent and like be inspired by all means. But I think when as a singer, it's like you hear all these beautiful songs and it's like, of course, the person that does it, does it beautifully and it's their song and that's fine. The minute you stop trying to just sound like them, I bet you sound the best because you've actually Mm. found your version of it. And I feel like that might be echoed. Tell me if I'm wrong, but if that's echoed in your work, because you're also... Helping people find their voice, and it may not be through the same instrument. But you're like, oh, this is bringing your confidence out, or oh, you can actually walk a little quicker, or use your hands differently because you had a moment of, oh, I can do this because you find your own. Like I don't know how to explain it. Like you find the way that all of a sudden you could do it, and you felt what it felt like to do it. Right. So you have to like channel that feeling and be consistent. And I feel like that would be where the progress is. And it it's kind of the same thing. I don't know if I'm crazy.
0: Well said. No. You explained it perfectly. Oh, cool. Well, and I think that speaks to the way we kind of have to approach voice because it's an instrument that's in the body in that it's about how you feel and less about what you think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's even less about what you think you're hearing because we're not even hearing our, our voices accurately.
2: Yeah. right. That's true too. Well, that's, I never thought about that. so.
0: And I think that can apply sort of, there's a parallel process we're talking about singing, but I think that can apply really to anything. Like, how do you feel as you're doing this rather than, you know, are you in your head comparing yourself to other people? That's, that's huge. Yeah. You know, and it makes sense why we do it. We all want to be successful and want to have the quote unquote greatness that we think we see out there and the things that we love. But the only way those became the things that we love was by those people trusting themselves too. So I think
1: that's kind of, mm. I think that's hard work. Yes. to that. Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: that's talking about a journey. Yeah.
1: Oh. But it reminds us that this is something that's full circle and making sure that we surround ourselves with people, but also work of individuals who have trusted themselves that we can be inspired by is really important. And so I think a lot of the times when you're in a path where the trajectory isn't necessarily as Clear is climbing a corporate ladder, per se. <laughs> you have to find those those seasons of inspiration, and those who have trusted themselves or trusted, you know, a greater voice than who, whatever it is they're hearing to guide them, and to be able to draw inspiration from that. I think is really, really important. I think it helps us as we get through challenging and tough times, yeah. and it helps us roll with changes. And I think it, it helps to build resilience, too. So I guess I'm wondering, with this season being what it is, what are some changes that you've seen? What are maybe changes you're anticipating? How do you think change has impacted what you do? Hmm. Any type of change? Mm-hmm. Mm. Change on a broad scale. I'm not going to make it pandemic related, but if you interpret it that way,
2: sure. (laughs) Good one. Yeah.
0: Well, a couple things. One that I will say is pandemic related. I think people are more focused on connecting, on social connection. At least recently on our unit, we've seen that a little bit more where, you know, sometimes in our teen groups, the kids kind of keep to themselves, they do their craft or whatever it is, and they maybe, say hello to each other. But recently, they've really been trying to connect, going on walks together in the hallway, seemingly because there's been such a deprivation uh, of social contact throughout this whole year. So I think the what's maybe changing is, hopefully, is becoming aware of how important our genuine connections with each other are. I think that's probably happened. Like We've all had a, a journey with that. I do see, let me think.
1: (laughs) And there's also no right or wrong answer to any of our questions.
0: (laughs) Get you to think about. I mean, this is adolescent medicine. So we're seeing a lot of change in terms of how we think about and how patients think about gender. Mm. That's a big one. And giving the importance of giving people the space to... Define for themselves how they feel, who they are, building their own identity. I think that's big. I think that's probably in just a really long period of transition right now. in it's forming and storming stage, if you will.
1: And that hasn't reached norming just yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: But that's something that I think our unit is really future forward with and tries to be very respectful and aware of there is a gender clinic at CHOP, you know, as a resource for a lot of patients. That I think has been a change that CHOP especially is trying. Now this is like the CHOP podcast, but like this type of work is trying to, <laughs> trying to facilitate, trying to make space for, yeah. And I think like identity shaping and not, okay, th- this idea is forming as I'm talking, not having to conform and as many pros and cons as TikTok and social media can have. I think there are now so many. There's just a lot more space to be in your niche, to be your version of yourself. That can really, it can go sour, that's for sure. But I mean, I think of like when we were growing up and it was like teen, rom-com, WB, one size, one shape, one color. Blue eyes, everybody. It was just like, oh my gosh! Like this will I will never be this. Where do if I this fit the... Right, and there's a lot of I think healthy rebellion against that now. So I think we're just seeing a more excitement about the expressions of of diversity and, and personal identity, and feeling the younger generation feeling uh, a little bit more empowered to assert that for themselves.
2: We hope, mm-hmm. right? Mm. What do you mm-hmm. think, Allie? Well, that's, that's a loaded question. I actually was... I will transition that into as far as change and transformation. I'm curious, was there a moment... I know you talked, Jackie, a little bit about how you got to where you are. But was there a moment in time where you kind of knew what made the most sense for you? Like, what, How would you explain that calling for community, which brought you to chap? So I think that could happen late in life for people or it could happen early. And it's, it's interesting to know what the impetus is for people.
0: To be honest, I wonder if I'm even the type of person who will feel that way. I think, kind of being a a seeker and curious person, I don't know if I ever really feel that settled. I think I'm following passions and following curiosity. I don't think I'm in the wrong job, in the wrong profession. I'm not like, oh God, I'm in this soul crushing (laughs) nine to five. So I think it, by comparison to that, I think I'm. I'm lucky to have gotten where I am. But I think for me, there's sort of, I've had to get comfortable with feeling like sort of a perpetual question mark. Mm. Like what is coming next? What can I develop out of this? Do I want to develop something out of this? Is where do I see myself? I'm kind of always asking those questions Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's just always more to do. Mm -hmm. So kind of finding a balance of asking those questions, but not at the expense of, your sense of groundedness that's mm. that's sort of the the journey for me right now wow i don't know if i answered your question
2: no no you did you did sounds like cuz you had a bunch of different little gigs here and there which similar to me i had a bunch of jobs at one point and was just like yeah this is not sustainable and nor does it feel good to be constantly exhausted by all the things i want to do so i think people will relate to hearing you kind of look for that groundedness and Actually, very refreshing and probably grounding to hear for people to know that it's you're not just settled and you're good to go. Like it's you know, Mm there is learning to do, there's space to fill with different things, but that you at least found this constant that does make you feel good. You know, I think helping people, I feel like I read something about there's a scientific response that we have to helping another person, Mm -hmm. volunteering or giving money or just showing up for someone, being a mentor. I think. You don't know until you do it, but it brings out some kind of endorphins maybe or something. I don't know what you would call that, but yeah.
0: Serotonin or some, one of those good ones. Yeah.
2: Happy hormones. hormones. Yeah, exactly. So that, I think that has a lot to do with it. And that's probably what you're feeling sometimes, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but yeah, I think that's a really special thing to do. Even if you do do something else in five years, you know what I mean? you got so much out of the people you've helped along the way. So then would you... Thank you. Gosh, should we dare to ask how Jackie defines success? Let's ask. <laughs> Based on all these fun nuggets of info. How do you define it? Do you feel successful? What, if you are, what are the moments that feel successful to you if they're only moments and it's not every day?
0: So I think I'll use the the buzzword of the hour, the journey for me. Part of the journey that I continue to be on is... Asking myself that question, like, how can I allow myself to feel successful? Because again, for a really long time, if you're, you grow up performing and that's what you're studying, the ultimate of success is really big or like the potential for it is like, well, one day you're going to get, you're going to make it, you know, you're going to go all the way there. And I think even when you kind of change for me, at least in kind of shifting my focus, there still has been some of that big energy of like, there has to be some like big, significant accomplishment. And then I will have reached the top of the mountain and I will (laughs) feel successful. Mm. Obviously not like, (laughs) no, we're (laughs) not a thing, not the way humans are even designed. So that much I know. So we're always striving. Yes, absolutely. There's some story. I shouldn't even bring it up because I don't know enough about it, but there's it's like a fable or a parable about, like, pushing the rock up the hill. And then, like, the rock falls down, and you push it back
1: up. It's a Sisyphean task if Sisyphus <gasps> is forced to push the boulder up the hill and have it fall down for all eternity. I like Greek mythology. <laughs> but it's just also a really interesting word to say.
2: <laughs> Dang! Oh, wow. Okay, that was clutch. <laughs> yeah.
1: Ted bits of random information that I have wow. stored away back here in my brain. <laughs> wow.
0: What do you call that? Like that's an assist. That's so like an alley oop. I think it's like an
1: alley oop.
2: <laughs> wow, that's what we call. Team just owned us. <laughs> that's what that is. Team casting. Team. But well, the story meant something to you, Jackie. Why? <laughs> What's that? You were bringing this up for a reason. Yeah. Oh yes, 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 yes. So
0: yes, all of this to say, I don't think success for me is. Reaching a particular point, but it's a practice. So, you know, the practice of pushing, making the effort, pushing the boulder up the hill, working through challenges. So, for me, I think I've had to define success as allowing myself to be brave, to try new things when the stakes feel high, challenging myself to go into high tension spaces, even when I'm scared, and allowing myself space to believe that what I provide can be enough.
2: Mm. Even mm. if it's small, mm. Mm. that's an interesting way. That's saying something similar that we had in a different interview, but in a different way. Like when we talked to Peter, we were saying how it doesn't matter if you're making a million dollars. It's like whatever's sustainable may or may not be a ton of money to you, but if even if it's small, it still matters. Like if it matters to you every day and put right. on your table or whatever you call that, that is successful.
0: Absolutely. I've had sessions where I think. That really helped me get to that answer that I just gave you, where I would be sitting with a patient, and this was years and years ago, sitting with them for an hour or two, watching the day transition into the evening and feeling like this is really significant. This is a significant moment. I'm able to, I feel like something real is happening. Yeah. I don't wanna get too highfalutin, but like, almost like something sacred is transpiring here that like, this is a real human connection and I'm providing something that is unique that I just know is making the difference or making a difference for this person. Like this is a a real like rich quality relationship. And that felt as good as singing in front of a cheering crowd. Mm, And I was like, Oh,
2: who knew <laughs> something that really works that's yeah, really cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I will say <laughs> the reason, speaking of connection and emotion, the reason I am so jealous, full disclosure of your job, like, I think it's the coolest job on the planet, and I think you should be paid millions of dollars to do it if I had the power, I would. But there was a young kid with cerebral palsy. I think it was. Gosh, it must have been my brother's baccalaureate. So somebody, this kid was like 11, 10 or 11 years younger than me. And he came out on stage at that baccalaureate and he sang an entire song by himself. I don't think I've cried like that. Mm. It's like, I will never, because I didn't even know the kid. I didn't know him at all. I had never seen him before, but he came out with his gear, like his walker and he had a tux on. And he was so excited and he nailed that song. And I just thought, oh my gosh, if that does not prove the power of music, I do not know what does. Like there is something different in our brain that connects to a song and connects to a chord progression and like a feeling. And I'm telling you, it can move mountains. I swear it can. And I think it is so freaking cool that you use that every day with people that actually benefit from that therapy, like the therapy piece of that and the therapeutic effect it can offer. So I just think of that kid every day. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, people to be able to help somebody like that and see whoever taught him that song, right. To sit there and watch that this, he like pulled that off. Like, Whoa, I can't imagine how cool that feels. So sounds like that's a real magic moment. Yeah. That was really cool. So I really respect what you do.
0: Sometimes in the day-to-day, you catch yourself forgetting. It's nice to hear that reflected back. And it's it's great to have this opportunity to, to talk about it and just reflect and step out of the, the treadmill from time mm-hmm. to time. It totally. can be really fast-paced and there's a, a lot of ups and downs, but um, yeah, reflecting on it is puts it all in perspective.
2: So thank you, guys. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. So grateful yeah, to have absolutely, you. Absolutely, any If you'd like to re-listen or hear more episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes under the name Angled Podcast.
1: You can follow us and get in touch with us on Instagram as well. Our handle is at Angled Podcast.
2: Thank you so much. See you next time. What's your angle?